Recognize, how's it going? Good, my brother. How you doing? I'm doing well. Excellent. Yeah. You down in Florida? Uh, yep, down in Miami. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty much on the opposite side of the uh, of the East Coast. I'm up in Maine. There's a ton of snow up here. It's freezing, so I'm sure it's pretty nice down there. Uh, yeah, you know, it gets a little hot and muggy down here for some folks, but it's it's. Uh, this is around the time of year where it's probably the nicest. So. Uh, yeah, I'll send I'll send some of the seventy three degrees up there. I've been to Maine. I've been to Maine a few times. I know I know the vibes up there. It's oh, really? Spot, yeah, yeah. We played a few shows out there over the years. It's been a little while though. We don't go there oh. often, but we've been there a few times. Yeah, I was wondering if you'd been up to New England at all doing shows. Yeah, we do. Like in that area, like um, we've done Portland, Maine, a couple times over the years. We did another spot in Maine that I can't remember the name off the top of my head, and then um, like. In the northeast and then like the east in general is not like a strong market for us so like we'll kind of we'll zigzag around and do like cambridge and boston and philly and new york's not a strong market for us but we like to go there so we'll, we'll kind of pop there but uh but yeah like it's it's like an area of the country we want to do more but uh it's just not our strongest market so it's hard to get there regularly that's with mayday yeah with mayday do you do any tours by yourself ever or mostly with them um, I do with myself, like I do, I do solo tours if it's been a little while. Cause the Mayday stuff like takes up a, a huge majority of my time, you know, but, um, but yeah, I do. I, I'm actually hoping to like, like drop, uh, when I drop my next record, hopefully later this year, do, do a solo tour or at the top of the following year. Um, I definitely want to do more solo tours, but, uh, yeah, it's just been a while. Cause the Mayday, we do at least one or two Mayday tours a year. So would you say most people know you from Mayday rather than as a solo artist? Um, yeah, I think, well, def definitely Mayday is more, uh, we have more traction and more fans, I would say, overall as, as a group. We're definitely more powerful as a group. Um, what's cool about, like, my solo career, which I had going slightly before Mayday, and then, which has run, like, kind of concurrent to Mayday, is um, that it's, it's, it's not the same exact sound. So, although I like rap and sing, you know, very similar on, on Mayday records and my solo records, I, I tend to do a little bit, a little bit more of, like, hip-hop stuff and not so like with mayday we do we kind of blend the genres so we'll do reggae we'll do funk we'll do pop like you know we're kind of all over the place in mayday which is kind of cool and it's part of like the signature sound of the group whereas like when it comes to like people that are recognized fans for real it's like they know what they're they're coming for a certain type of hip-hop that i'm always going to really be delivering as a solo artist so it's yeah i think to answer the question definitely mayday's got more fans and more people know me in mayday than a solo artist uh, but it's cool because I get to kind of change gears when I do either or. Yeah. So let's take people back a little bit. Um, I don't want to spend too much time in the past and go crazy with that. But um, I just wanted to touch on a few <clears throat> things. Um, it looks like your parents were a huge influence on you getting into music. Would you say that's right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. My my dad, uh, my dad's a song, singer songwriter, has been my entire life. My mom was a backup singer in his band when they were teenagers in England. And uh, my dad's been like writing songs, playing the guitar and like being, you know, involved in music production like my whole life. So like writing my first song was with him. He taught me how to write my first song. He put me in the studio for the first time. And and um, and yeah, and, and my mom as well, like even though my mom doesn't professionally pursue music, 
um, anymore. She she's just super about music and and has like blessed me with like the the textures that I needed to be able to like put music down and put creative ideas into music. It's all yeah. My parents were a big deal like in terms of like my music uh, knowledge. Yeah. So were you <clears throat> making beats like way back then? Like was your dad showing you how to how to do stuff like that? Um, he, he tried, he definitely tried to hook me up with like assistance in terms of like, you know, he had a four track Tascam recorder back in the day and he gave it to me when he passed, like he passed it on to me when he was going to the next piece of equipment. And I, at that time I thought it was cool. And I was like, yeah, like, look at me, I'm getting a cool piece of gear, but I was a little too young at the time to really grasp it. Some people are like wizards with that stuff right off the bat. Took me a little while to like grasp the concept of recording and using equipment properly so when he gave me that I might have played with it a little bit but I, I I didn't just like become like a wizard protege you know what I mean like I wasn't like recording records right away um but he was giving me that experience where I was like I had the gear around and then what what kind of happened was he was teaching me like singer songwriter stuff and I was into all kinds of music but then when I discovered hip-hop in a way like I, I say like sometimes it it like it it was cool because it gave me the gift of like the genre I like I love the most, but it ruined me in the sense that like musicality and singing and like melody wasn't really popular in hip hop back then, you know? So it yeah. kind of like, it suppressed my will to like, Oh, I want to learn an instrument or, you know, now it's cool. Like p- producers learn instruments now and singing is ubiquitous in hip hop. Everybody's putting melody in everything. So it's cool now, but back then it wasn't. So it kind of made me feel like, all I want to do is rap and fucking, you know, I don't want to do any of this other shit. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I kind of like, uh, I didn't take to it like the instrument side or the making beats or production side until a little bit further down the road. Um, when I just kind of picked it up from the scene, the hip hop scene in general. Yeah. So it says in your bio, you met guru at age 11 and he was a pretty big influence on you meeting him. Um, so, so did, did you so, like pick okay, up yeah. on, did you pick up on just like, like you were making music before and then after meeting him, you just were off and running. Like you were just a little bit obsessed after kind of. So the, the guru thing actually is kind of like a weird, like urban legend in my like biography basically, because what, what happened was uh, when I went to do the MTV battle as a teenager, they interviewed me before when I was like 18, 19, they interviewed me before the battle to like, you know, get perspective on all the competitors. And when they interviewed me, I told the interviewer that like my pops were, you know, my parents were really into music. And even to the point where my pops introduced me to some really dope hip hop stuff that he was, he's not really a big hip hop head per se, but he put me on to guru. And cause I wasn't familiar. Like I, I'm, you know, I'm, I was born in 83 and I didn't have any older siblings. So like my hip hop, like knowledge kind of started around like the biggie dmx jay-z era i missed out on de la soul tribe you know gangstar and all that so i had to go back and discover all that stuff so what what was funny is that my pops was trying to put me on to some of the like what people consider to be the golden era stuff uh when i was listening to like just you know mainstream gangster rap at the time so my dad introduced me to the music of guru now i told this oh, to that really? interviewer and then what happened was that the interviewer took it out of context and was like, oh, your, your dad 
introduced you. And then somehow it turned into like this weird, like whispers game of, uh, they used, somebody was saying online that like my parents were in a band with Guru. And I was like, yo, wait, what is happening? Like, so it, it kind of like, it started from like a, a missed context interview. And then it like spun into this weird, like out of control, like urban legend in a way. Uh, mm. But no, what, what happened was that my dad introduced me to Jazzmatazz. He found that album like in, when he was living in Cali. And he was like, I, I'm really digging this. Like, I love the vibe and the beats of this is really cool. I think you might dig this guy. So I, I got, he gave me the Jasmine Taz album and then I was like, yo, this is amazing. And then I learned about Gangstar and then my whole world opened up to that and Gangstar became one of my like favorite groups. Um, so I did get to meet Guru years later in Puerto Rico at the Mix Show Power Summit before he passed. So I did end up getting to meet him, but uh, it wasn't through my pops though. Yeah, well, that's good. Um, so I was I was looking through your music catalog. It looks like your first album was in 2010. Is that right? Or did you have something before then? I did some demo stuff. You know, I recorded like an album in my friend's garage in high school. And, you know, and that was okay. And we, we I made 100 copies of it and pressed it up. And then uh, I got a record deal in, in 06, 07. And I recorded an album for them. And that album got shelved along the way because the, the label didn't really end up panning out. They put out a few other records. They put out the first Mayday album before I joined the group. And they just they just didn't have all their ducks in a row. And then eventually they, the label went under before my record came out. So then I had a shelved album. So then uh, slight, like at the end of that period, I ended up getting invited to join Mayday as a member. And I told the guys, look, like, I know we're about to put out an album together and we're going to, I'm going to join Mayday and all that, but I just really need to get this solo record off um, because I feel like if I don't do it now, I'll never do it, you know? And it's just something that's really important to me because I had been shelved and sat on that label for so long. So I ended up putting out uh, a soiree for skeptics in 2010. That was the first official full length album I was able to get out after all those years. Mm -hmm. So with the battle rapping, um, were you doing that in high school? Is that like how you got started just battling people? in your spare time um, I, and then you got really good at it basically what happened was is that i i live uh at the time i lived like 20 minutes north of miami <clears throat> and uh, i lived in a city called hollywood and it, at that time miami had a really dope like local hip-hop scene hollywood where i lived in in broward county had zero hip-hop scene there was no nobody trying to make albums or make beats or any of that stuff there was like me and maybe two or three other kids at, at my whole entire high school that rapped and um I was trying to get into like recording music. I was starting to write my own raps, you know, I was following like hip hop culture pretty closely. And I, I started to get wind of, catch wind of events happening in Miami. And I was like, you know what, I'm gonna go down to Miami, check these out. So when I went down to these B-boy events they were having, you know, there'd be B-boy battles and DJ battles and MC battles. And I was kind of just kind of looking around and see, you know, getting a feel for it all. And I was trying to make contacts there, but all these kids went to school together. So they weren't giving me the time of day because I'm like, yo, man, I would love to get some beats. And then everyone was being real, like, you know, clicky. They weren't really trying to let the new guy in from, you know, the, the, the county above. So mm -hmm. what, I, what I learned on that first couple of visits to those jams was the best way to get people's attention and get respect was the battles. When I saw battles going down, I was like, oh, this is cool. And like the people that do this, like they, they step off the stage and people fuck with them. So I was like, you know what, I, I, need, to, I need to get involved in this. I think I could be good at this. So basically I, I kind of did it as a way to like work my way into the community and into the scene so that I could get beats or get studio time or just, you know, kind of become a member of the community for real. So then I just started, to, what was cool about it was it was helping with that. And it was also, I did start to love it because the sport of it, 
I loved. And also I'm a real passive, peaceful person. So I found like MC battling is a really cool way to like vent out your anger and frustrations, you know? <laughs> I was like, I can say things to people that I would never say because I'm a polite <laughs> British raised guy, you know? I would never like disrespect people. I'm real respectful and passive. But in battle rap, I can go say some foul shit to somebody and it's all good because it's part of the sport, you know? And they can say it back to me and we shake hands after and keep it moving. So I fell in love with it after that. And then I just started to go to every jam that I possibly could find in Miami to, to make my name be known. Wow. So did you just do that for a few years and then kind of retired from it? Um, yeah, I did it for, you know, I started maybe when I was like about 17 and then I did it for like 17, 18. And then uh, nine, when I was 19, a uh, homegirl that I knew at the time told me that she'd heard about this uh, competition they were hosting on, um, on MTV and they were, they were going to have a local like competition and they were going to take M's, eight MCs from around the country and it was a $25,000 prize and a record deal with Rockefeller Records and all. So it was a big deal. So I, 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 I applied for that and I competed and won in Miami. And then I went to New York uh, and represented for Miami against seven other cities. And, uh, and then I ended up winning. So I won that battle and they invited me back after I won that battle to battle on uh, MTV for New Year's. And I battled against the winner of the first MC battle they had done about a year prior. And though that those were almost like pretty much about the last time that I battled. Um, I basically kind of like was like, this is the pinnacle. This is the greatest thing I could ever do in battling. Like I feel like, and plus battling was always a means to an end to get to recording. I, I, I didn't want to like be a battle MC forever. I was doing it to get into recording and what I really loved, which is like creating music. So once I saw that I had a, uh, you know, an, an off route, an off ramp or whatever to get to recording the music, I was like, you know what, this is going to be it for me. Let me, let me just hang it up. I did end up battling a couple of times uh, years later when opportunities arose, but I only did it twice after, but for the most part, yeah, that was, it was mainly those years and MTV. And then when I did the MTV thing, I was like, yeah, this is, I just can't outdo this. Yeah. Is there anyone you battled that's like super well-known that people would recognize the names of? Yeah. Um, I battled Juice, who's famous for battling Eminem oh, yeah. in the, in the, uh, yeah, in the um, rap, rap Olympics in 97. So I battled Juice at Scribble Jam. I battled, um, uh, I battled Rain Man, who's now known as RJ Payne. And he's oh, amazing. Wow. He's super, yeah, he's super dope. We battled on, New. that was the New Year's Eve battle I did. And uh, I battled No Can Do in a grind time uh, exhibition battle years later. And then I battled uh, Jin, who was also pretty popular in the battle circuit. He, he was from uh, Miami originally. And then he got, he like rose to fame when he moved to New York and got, uh, he got on Freestyle Fridays on BT. And then uh, he got a deal with Rough Riders. And then yeah. uh, we, but we had battled a bunch of times in Miami. He was a local in Miami. And then we ended up battling at that mix show Power Summit. So that was some of my more like notable, notable mm -hmm. battles. Yeah, I could have watched you on MTV and had no idea about it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Now, a lot of people, what's crazy is like, I ended up, you know, I, w I was 20, 19, 20 at that time. And then by the time we got our record deal, our big record deal with Strange Music years later, I had kind of like, you know, I didn't want to be like Al Bundy, you know, talking about the football throw from high school. Like I was like that. We did. We did that already. It was great. I, I loved it. I'm not like, you know, and, I, and the, the record deal with Rockefeller didn't end up going through, but I wasn't bitter about any of that. I was just like, cool, I'm going to keep it moving. And I'd moved on from it. But then when we started to tour the country, I used to, I started meeting a lot of people that were a little bit younger than me and they, they like watched it and it had an impact on them. And it made me appreciate like the, the gravity of like what it was. We were on MTV on a Saturday afternoon, prime time. 
you know, live event and people were watching it and it was a big deal. So like, not that I ever downplayed it, but I was just trying not to make it like my whole life revolve around it after that. Uh, but it was right. really cool. These years later, I, I meet people still that are like, you know, they have a connection to that battle. They, they saw it. It was like a core memory in their childhood, which is fucking super cool. Yeah, definitely. So was it hard to shake off like being known as the battle rapper for a little bit? Yeah, yeah, definitely. A little bit. It was like, you know, I was like, yeah, like, I got in the studio with uh, DJ Premier when I was working my first album and we were trying to get beats from him. And I went wow. to D&D in New York. And, and yeah, and I, it was amazing. I was a super big fan of Gangstar, like I told you. And like uh, Alchemist was in the neighborhood and he came too. So we all sat in the studio together and it was like hip hop dream, like to just be sitting in the room with these guys. And of course, like anytime I bump into Premier after that, you know, he's like, yeah, yeah, the MTV guy, the MTV, you know, you know, he remembered mm-hmm. me from that. And it was cool. Like it, it gave me a, a level of like notoriety that people like knew who I was in the scene. You know, I got into the source, I got into double XL. It got me a lot of publicity, but then, you know, like, yeah, it, it, it was almost a blessing that I didn't get to put a record out soon after that because people were still very much connecting me with that battle stuff. And I feel like the fact that my album ended up getting shelved after was like a blessing because it gave me all that time to kind of shake that off and resurface still with people knowing the name because you know years later when i put my first record out people were like is that the same guy from the mtv you know people would be like i think i remember you know what i mean but it wasn't like battle guy it was like it was still it was like faded in a way which kind of worked i think in my advantage Mm. so um who do you think was the first dj to to play into your music like whether it was on a mixtape or a radio station do you remember oh like looking back uh, well well, the first the first DJ to ever give me a mixtape appearance is one of my best friends now is uh, DJ EFN. He has a show that's super popular now called Drink Champs oh, yeah. with Noriega. Yeah, so he he um he was like a very notable mixtape DJ in Miami when I was just coming up. I'm a few years younger than him, so I got an opportunity through a connect at the time to get and to get on a mixtape. And he offered me a slot on a mixtape, like a posse cut that he did with a bunch of his artists. So like, that was my first like big mixtape look where I was like, yo, this is a de- this is a big deal. Like these, his mixtapes were all over Miami. He was like the DJ clue of Miami. Like his tapes were everywhere. So um, EFN, I definitely always credit as my like first mixtape appearance. And then our local radio stations were really cool too. Uh, 99 Jams used to have uh, uh, Big Lip and Super Cindy and they used to host a, a rap battle. And I got on there and won a few times. Um, so they would play my records too, but the, the, the old, you know, demos that I had at the time. So like, you know, DJs in Miami were really like cool with us that way. We, I ended up getting played on almost every major station in Miami, like over those years. And 103.5 was our, one of our big urban stations. And they, they were the one that hosted the competition to get to MTV. So they were really cool with me because, you know, they had basically like put me, sent me to MTV basically. So right. I, I got real cool. You know, I got really cool with, um, Prince Marky D, the Fat Boys, and uh, Papa Keith, Big Papa Keith, and uh, so like some of those dudes, you know, and and um, we also had Khaled show um, Mayday some love real early too, before Khaled blew up into the super global superstar that he is now. So hmm. yeah, it's been, it's been it's been cool. Miami can be like often viewed as a city that's like real cutthroat, like crabs in a bucket. But when we were coming up, I didn't we didn't really feel that. We got a lot of love from the local DJs here and the local like PDs and stuff. Yeah. Um, so would you say there's a song or a project you're most known for by fans? 
Um, for me, solo, it always tends to be like one of your earliest works for some reason. Like when people get introduced to you, it's something about like the nostalgia that they have for that time and who they were at that time and what your music meant to them at that time. So it's like very rarely ever new stuff, which is something I feel like all artists kind of struggle with. But um, uh, for my solo stuff, the first album that I put out on Strange Music uh, was called The War Within. And that one, like, it was a big deal because it was my first album that I got to, like, put into the stores because I had put out Swari for Skeptics super indie. So when I got to do The War Within, it was, like, my first real big deal. Like, it's going to be in Best Buy. You know, you can be, you can get it everywhere kind of vibe. And um, so it was a big deal. And I had some really cool features on that one. I had Pasta News from De La Soul on there. I had Bun B on there, Crooked Eyes on there. Um, so, you know, it was like a really, it was a, like Tech Nines on there. So it was like a great, a great vibe of songs, a great collection of songs. And a lot of people I feel like really connected with me off of that record. So I'd say The War Within for my solo stuff. When it comes to Mayday, our, our first album on Strange is called Take Me to Your Leader. And that's another one that people are, are you know, they talk about a lot to this day. Mm. And, um, and then if there's a top three, if I can say a top three, I'll say um, the Mers Day record. We did a collab album with Mers from, from LA. And um and that record, like people bug us about it all the time to this day. When's it gonna be in the sequel to the Mersday mm-hmm. album, you know? And so a lot of th- that's a one that we're really notable for as well. Um so how did you connect with Strange Music? So um right after I had joined Mayday, we did like a couple years of like really super grinding, playing every show we could get, putting out mixtapes, you know, doing features left, right, and center. And we had a three-headed management team at that time, one of which was EFN, um, our original manager, Andrea, and then um, a gentleman named Kether. And he, uh, Kether lived in LA. He was like our satellite West Coast manager. And basically, like long story short, his neighbor was a mutual friend with the VP at Strange Music. And um, basically what happened was our manager passed her the music and she loved the music. So she passed it to Dave Weiner. And Dave basically grilled out that summer to it and was like, yo, this music is amazing. I love the vibe. It's so fresh. And so he passed it to, to Tech and Travis at Strange Music and said, look at these guys. Like, what do you think of these guys bringing them in? But they were in the middle of a signing freeze at that moment. So what his plan was is that he set up for us to do like a couple of opening slots for Tech Nine's next tour. So the next time he came to Florida, he was like, I'm going to sneak you guys kind of onto the bill without telling anyone and then just like see what the reaction is. So he set up for us to do uh, Fort Lauderdale in Orlando. It was the tour that he took, uh, the tech took Kendrick out before Kendrick blew up. And so we got on that tour and we did two shows, met tech. Tech had already been bumping the music from Dave. He like came and got his CD signed. He was super fucking cool and friendly. And then we went back home and just like, okay, hopefully the word spreads, you know, a few months went by and we did a cameo in a T-Pain video and tech was at home as the story goes, watching TV and this T-Pain video comes on and, uh, Mm -hmm. and our cameo pops up in the video and tech basically dials Travis immediately and says, yo, we got to get those Mayday guys because somebody's going to get them. Like they're in T-Pain's video, either T-Pain's going to sign them or somebody's going to fuck with these guys, you know? So let's, let's grab them. And, and literally within a month or two of that, we were in Kansas city inking a deal with, with strange. Wow. So you're, you're not uh, on strange music anymore, but are you still cool with everyone there? Yeah, absolutely. We, we were there for 11 years and um, we, we left not on, not, it was, it was a total amicable split. It was basically like for us, 
we'd done 11 years and countless albums there. And it felt like it was kind of like the way that the, the world is and the COVID bump and all that stuff that we had to go through. It felt like a good time for us to like get out on our own and own, own our own records. First of all, we all got kids. Most of us got kids. So like, I want to be able to pass down like a huge portion of my catalog to my kids at some point. So I wanted to start a stack, like a, a fully independent catalog that we own. So what we did was we ended up just transferring our, our remaining albums on our contract at that moment to distribution. So we still work with them because they have a distribution company called It Goes Up. Uh, so we're still cool with them, still work with them. They took us out on a Tech Nines tour after we got off of the label just to basically like help us launch our own situation. They've always been super cool with us and let us do, a, you know, our, the creative license that we had while we were there was fucking just, uh, like, you know, un, unprecedented. Like, I feel like most labels, there's some sort of restriction at some point. With Strange, they pretty much let us do what we wanted to do creatively. And, uh, and yeah, I got, I got nothing but really, like, love, respect, and admiration for, for Tech and for Travis and what they build. And anytime we ever get to fuck with them or do a show with Tech or do, do a feature, right now they're working on, like, a, a like an alumni, like, collabos project. So, like, you know, if anything that we get to do with him is always a pleasure, man. Those dudes are the shit. Did you guys all tour around the world, like, multiple times? We toured the country multiple times. We we actually have never, Mayday has never been able to hop the palm. We did, like, Costa Rica. That's as far as we ever got. We're trying to work on now, like, getting over to the U.K. because that's where I was born. So, like, that one's important to me. I really, my dad still lives there. I really want to play, like, in England and, you know, Scotland, Wales, Ireland, anywhere around that area. Um, but we, 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 whenever, um, tech would go overseas, it was always like, they traveled pretty light because it, you know, they're, they're testing out markets for tech. So like to take the full band for Mayday was like a little, probably a little bit cumbersome. Plus they didn't know how well we were going to do in those markets is my, is my assumption. So, um, most of the time we just toured the country domestically with, with strange, but we did, mm -hmm. uh, we did a ton of tours with them. We did like five or six tours with tech over the years. We did the hostile takeover tour, which was like. 94 shows like a record breaking you know it, it was a uh, tech nine mgk uh prozac stevie stone us uh Ses crew i think was on that one it was like it was insane like so we did a lot of, a lot of touring with strange which was awesome because they put on a really good show so we were in really good company and we learned a lot touring the country yeah. with them. so as far as showing love to the music what country do you think gives you the most respect and, and props and stuff like that uh, I mean, outside of the U.S. or including yeah. the U.S.? Yeah, outside of the U.S. Uh, yeah, outside the U.S., we get a lot of love in Canada. Like, we, we've toured Canada as well. So, like, I guess technically that would be uh, as well. Not over the pond, but over the line. Um, we, we, we get a lot of love in Canada. Um, we're starting to, like, it's been wild. Like, we, we, in the early days of Mayday, before I joined, they had a single out with CeeLo called Groundhog Day. And that single, like, did really well in Australia. And um, like I was told the guys, like, it'd be great to go like really see who was out there for us in Australia because we get decent numbers in Australia still. And um, and lately, like Russia, strangely enough, has been like popping up on our on our Shazams and our stream counts and stuff. I think there's a couple of songs that are making the rounds of Russia at the moment, which is just odd. But um, mm. so, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's weird. We're kind of spread out a lot. I, I, I wish um, I long to like do better in the UK because my family's there and that's where I'm from originally. So I really do want to do better in the UK, but for now, yeah, it's more like Canada, Australia, uh, a little bit of Germany, a little bit of like uh, Sweden will pop, will pop up from time to time. Like there'll be little pockets here and there, you know, but yeah, for the most part, it's, it's mostly us and Canada for us. So it looks like you have five solo albums. Do you have any idea how many Mayday albums there are? Cause it was, it was hard to tell. 
It looks like yeah, so there, there, yeah, there is, there is. Uh, when we did South of Fifth, that was our fifth record on Strange, and then after South of Fifth, we did Minute to Minute. So I think we did six albums on Strange, and there was two albums before. So I want to say we have eight albums in total, a few EPs, couple mixtapes, but like yeah, if, uh, I think uh, full length albums for Mayday, it's eight. Yeah. And do you have a song, like a solo song that you think is, or maybe even a Mayday song that you think is your deepest and like you put the most like emotion into your lyrics ever, like something you really poured your, your soul into, like a little bit extra? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the most popular Mayday songs is called Shortcuts and Dead Ends. And that we play it at the end of every show. It's one of our most streamed songs. And um, my verse on that song is is to my sister, to my little sister. So it was a it was it was important and personal to me because I was talking to my sister as she had just had her first child and about our bond over the years and and how we like lived in separate places and so it was an emotional like topic for me and then it became like transcendent past that because then people anyone with a sister like related to the verse. So I would get people like come up to me about that verse still to this day on the road where like that verse has a really big impact on them because of their connection to their siblings. So um, that one shortcuts and dead ends. We also did a record called against my better judgment, which is um, it was a song about like addiction and we kind of framed it like a, as a relationship, as if you were like trying to basically quit a person, but you know, you kept going back to a person. That one for me is one of my favorites that we've done in the catalog. And then um, I have a, re- a solo record that everyone also touches on a lot in terms of like emotional depth called Rise. It's the end of the War Within album. It's the last track. And that, yeah. that's, that's also one that um, people hit me up a lot about that it has a big emotional impact. So um, Mayday just dropped three singles in the last few months. Uh, these are all off a brand new album that's coming out soon, isn't it? Yep, yep, that's right. Yeah, we're leading up in the next few months uh, to we have we have a couple projects on the horizon, but one of them is our next our next full length album, which should be out by the middle of this year sometime. Are you able to tell us any information about it? Basically, um, what I can say about it so far is um, it's our first record since we went fully independent. What's really cool about it is like the Mayday started as a two man group. And then it expanded into a six-man group. And then it shrunk back down to a three-man group. And one of the people that left the group actively every day, you know, from day to day, uh, was one of the co-founders. So um, he hadn't really, he popped up here and there every now and again, but he was just kind of like, he'd moved away. He was, you know, he had his kids, he's living life and doing a whole different profession. Um, But what's cool about this album is we're able to bring uh the majority of our previous members back into the fold so like the original co-founder and producer of the group is uh heavily active on the production for this album and one of our uh other members who was the bassist and other and another heavy producer for the group has also returned to produce some records too so it's kind of like a reunion record in a way so we're revisiting like you know anyone who like knows that first album will will recognize the artwork on these new singles are like a throwback to the first mayday album and it's kind of like a, you know, a return to form and like a nod to like where we started. And which I like, which, what I like about that is it's poetic in the sense that we're, we, we're kind of doing like a new beginning now, getting off of Strange and going out on our own and owning our own records and all that. So it's, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be cool. We've gotten really good feedback on the singles we've dropped so far. We have, um, we have another couple singles to drop before the album drops. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I'm really excited about it. Did you say the album's done? The album is just about done. It's going to be done within this like next month, 
basically. Like, we're finishing up the last few records now. And so there's videos for Black Lemonade and Cold Shoulder. Is there one coming for Ain't Ain't For Them coming soon? Yep, yep, yeah. We put So far, we've done video for every single. We did uh, No One's Around in September. We did Black Lemonade, Cold Shoulder. And then we have a video that's just about being finished uh, at editing right now for Ain't For Them. We're trying to do a video for every every monthly single we drop before the album. And will you guys um, go out on tour right after the album drops? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. The plan is now to like go out, like, if not like be out when the, the album drops, be out like very, very soon after the album drops. Do you do any of the production on the Mayday albums or is it the other guys mostly? Uh, I do a little bit, but yeah, I don't, I don't like, I'm like a self-loathing beat maker. Like I love to make beats. I've made beats since I was like a teenager on an NPC, like, and, and I, and it's a fun like hobby for me, but I, I don't consider myself to be the best when it comes to that. And like, and sometimes I, I'm, I'm hypercritical on my like production skills. So especially when it comes to like really pressing the buttons and building the thing from scratch, like I'm a good armchair producer. Like I can, I can jump in the room with Burns and we can Rick Rubin the shit out of a record. But uh, sometimes like building the beat myself from scratch, I'm real judgmental of my work when it comes to that. But every now and again, you know, I'll make 50 beats that I hate and then I'll have like that 51st beat will be something that I'll be like, yo, this could turn into something. So I'll take it to the studio and then the guys will help me out. We'll put some live drums on it and, you know, add to it. And then it'll turn into a Mayday record. So for the last, like, you know, out of the eight Mayday albums, like, I'll have, like, one, I'll have one production, like, that's really mine that started in my room kind of thing um, on at least every album, just about. But for the most part, yeah, like, uh, it used to be Plex Luther that was, like, our main producer, and then we had Gianni Cash come in, and the two of them were handling it, and then once they both separated and left the group for actively, um, we had our percussionist, Anonymous, he's, like, taken up a huge... Uh, amount of weight for the for the production and then burns the other vocalist in the group is also like a very underrated underscored um producer like he doesn't really like step into the light and take credit a lot but the man the man is a good producer like he's got the ear and and he's produced a lot of records for us too so you don't sell your beats at all i do i have before it's not something i do regularly no like i don't get out there like i sell verses way more than i sell beats but when someone hits me up and asks me about beats um i'd never turn them down it's not like oh no i'm too embarrassed to show my beats off kind of thing like i'm just like if you see a beat you like you know if you hear a beat you like then fuck it let's do it you know like uh about a year or two ago mers came to me and he wanted to do an ep and he asked me if i'd produce it and i was like yeah i'm super down i would be very excited to do that i've been a mers fan for forever and ever and i've always wanted to produce a project for someone but i just never had the opportunity and so we did it and we did an EP and I produced like seven records for him and it was a blast. Like I super enjoyed the process and we put it on vinyl and I was like very proud to hear my beats, like, you know, like taking a whole MC through a project and getting pressed and put out into the world. And I was, it was a cool new experience for me. So it's like, like I said, it's like production is something I, I really aspire to be better at and do more, like, especially in regards to other artists, but it's just something that the opportunity doesn't come out that come, come up that often for me. But, but yeah, I would, I would definitely never shy away from producing for someone else. That Murz album isn't the one from 2022, is it? Um, yeah, the last album. He, yeah, it's been a little while since his last record. He did he did two solo albums. He did uh, Sorry for the uh, No See You on the Other Side was his first one, and then he did um, Sorry for the Mess, and that was in 2020. Um, and then, yeah, he hasn't done a, an album since 2020, actually, a solo album. I'm trying to get him to do one. He did a, he's done, he done um, a couple mixtapes. He has a mixtape series called Yacht, Yacht, uh, Yacht Club, which is like 
freestyles over like needle drops on yacht yacht uh, yacht rock records it's super dope uh but yeah you like, know what i was sorry i was actually thinking of um i was talking about mers in miami actually oh yeah 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 gotcha yeah the mers in miami one was the is was the project that i produced yeah okay so um, oh, i thought you said Bur- i thought you said burns my bad um so you guys did that album and you did the mayday project do you do you think you guys are going to work again in the future or do you have any plans for it well, uh, you mean in reference to MERS? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we'd like to, but um, MERS is right in the middle of like a retirement run right now. You know, he's been talking about getting out of rec- like recording and releasing music and like pursuing some other things in his life. Um, he's got kids and he's got like a family business and like he's done, you know, he's re- he feels like he's rapped as much as he could ever rap. You know, he's kind of like, he feels he's at the end of that road. So MERS in Miami was part of a, a long list of like collaborative projects and other projects that he wanted to do as he was winding down his clock. And we talked about doing some MERS Day stuff because it's actually the 10th anniversary this year of the MERS Day album. So we talked about possibly getting together to do some, you know, one thing or another. But, uh, you know, between his schedule and our schedule, I don't know. It's like tough to try and lock something down, especially with family and kids and all that. But yeah, I mean, we would love to do it. Like as far as Mayday's concerned, like we always kind of put the ball in his court and he probably hates us for that. But like we put the ball in his court because it's like we're down to work. We're, we, we, you know, we're here and we, we love to collaborate. And, and we, Merz Day, we're super proud of that record. And if we were to do a sequel one day, like it, we, we want it to be great. We'd be down to do it. So I won't say never. It just doesn't seem like it's going to happen in the immediate future. Yep. So do you guys... um does everyone in Mayday kind of live close to each other? Like, do you guys all meet up when it's time to record and make music? Or do you sometimes record on your own and stuff like that uh, for the projects? We have a studio in Miami that we, like, uh, that we link up at. We have, like, a Mayday studio that's, that everyone meets up at and we'll do Mayday work at. And then um, I've always kept a home studio just for my own sanity. So, like, mm-hmm. uh, like you know, recording with other people is, is, is awesome. And the product, like, comes out you know, the art comes out at the end, like it doesn't, you know, if you were by yourself and that like collaborative thing is a different muscle memory basically. But I also need to be able to like go into my room at three in the morning in my pajamas and like, and make a beat or, or, or record a verse or, you know, like I always need that me personally. So, um, so I have a studio at home. I do a lot of my solo work at home and then sometimes I'll just do, you know, Mayday stuff at home and bring it in like homework, you know, like, and just be like, here's, I did this. Let's, work on this but yeah for the most part when it's mayday stuff we're all in the same room together in our studio man so you put out a number of solo singles in 2023 do you have a solo album dropping sometime soon yeah i'm hoping to you know i got caught up in the i got caught up in the juggle there doing the mayday mayday stuff and then like just parenting i got two young uh i got twin boys so it takes up a lot of my time raising these guys but um but yeah the those singles are all from the upcoming album and I was intending to kind of like keep my foot on the gas leading all the way into the album as we're doing with the Mayday stuff. But I just, I got derailed at one point and then I hit a brick wall and now I'm kind of like picking it back up this year. And um, I think I might end up like actually just dropping the album, like completing the album and just dropping the rest of the album instead of like doing, you know, picking back up that lead up process. But yeah, there's definitely an album this year for sure. At least one. So we just had new year's um, less than a month ago. Did you plan out like what you're going to do for the year? Like I'm going to drop this many albums. Like are you that type of person that does that? I'm like kind of like that kind of person in theory. Like I like to be that kind of person, but then like I, I definitely stretch myself too thin and time is like such a valuable resource at this stage of the game that 
I end up like try. I'm also like a try to do too much kind of person. So I'll be like, yo, I could do this and this and this and this and this, and then realize I only have time for like two of those things. Um, but yeah, I definitely had like a rough plan of what I wanted to do. And I felt like when, when we got off of strange music, we, uh, it was the 10th anniversary of one of Mayday's most popular albums called Believers. And we toured that album, like almost like through the whole year. So we didn't drop any music. We dropped a little bit of music in, in 21 when we first went, uh, you know, 21, 22, when we first, or no, sorry, 22, when we first went off the label, but then we went kind of quiet in Mayday land and just did touring. So this year, like our goal was like to go as super hard as we can with music. And I feel the same way in my solo career. So like, I definitely mapped out, you know, multiple projects for both Mayday and for myself. And if all goes according to plan by the end of the year, there'll be more than one project on both sides. All right. So um, you mentioned like trying to do a lot of things at once. It looks like you do a podcast as well. G-T-F-O-H. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How I, often I you, pod- do you do that? I do it every Tuesday night, I do it weekly. And uh, I started it during the pandemic, you know, as most people, as a lot of people did, like realizing like I'm stuck at home, I need to do something else. What else can I do? Um, so I, I started and I didn't want to do like just a podcast that was based on music. Cause it just, I don't know. I just wanted to be, I, I just seemed too easy. I was like, I don't want to just do whatever other musicians doing and just sit around and talk music. I was like, what else can I do? And there was like an inside joke uh, on my Instagram that had kind of like been birthed a few months earlier where I was criticizing something stupid in, in pop culture. And, and I had said, you know, get the fuck out of here. And people were sampling it and using it. And then I started using it as like a series on my Instagram. And then, so when I, I was like, Oh, I'll start a podcast. Like, what can I do? the GTFOH came up with like, Oh, you know what? I'll kind of host like a one man show where I can just kind of go through like weird news stories and dumb criminals and like (laughs) things that make you just want to scratch your head, you know, like, so, and it'll, it'll give me a break from music and yeah, I'll do a little music stuff at the end of the episode. So yeah, I started it in 2020 and, and I'm like 84 episodes deep now. And it's, it's fun, man. It's like, it's weird. Like when you try, when you step away and do something that's not fully music related, most of your crowd, a lot of your crowd's not going to want to go there with you because they're, they're there. To, they want you for music. They're not here to fuck with you about jokes and, you know, dumb criminals or whatever. So um, it's been like a weird, like trying to build an audience there is like almost like starting over again. And I've thought about quitting it a few times, but I do like thoroughly enjoy it so much. And when I do go on the road, sometimes people mention to me, oh, you know, man, I really love the podcast, man. I listen to it every week. So now like those people are the ones that keep me going where I'm like, yeah, I got to do it for them, you know? So <laughs> uh so i'm still i'm still going i'm still doing it yeah it's funny this podcast like i started off like interviewing like just regular people or like entrepreneurs and like didn't want it to be a music podcast and then by like episode 20 it's been all music people just just because i know so many artists you know but yeah um, yeah sometimes man sometimes you know like you, you set it out and map it out one kind of way and then like organically it turns into something else and i'm okay with that like if, if sometimes you just got to go with the current you know so do you have a favorite episode you've done or like some that you recommend for first time listeners? Um, I always tell people like, don't start at the beginning because the beginning I knew I had no idea what I was doing <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> so yeah, that's the uh, thing with this podcast. Yeah, man. Like, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's rough in the beginning. In the beginning, I, I barely knew how to format the show and it, like the sound, like the sound production and all that stuff was just very tricky and rough. So it took me a little while to get, get a hold of it. But um, I think like, uh recent like my re- recent episodes like some of the most recent ones gives you a real good feel for what the show is 
But um, I had an episode uh, 77 um, was, a, was a really popular one. It's called Came and Went. And uh, yeah, I think if you catch any episodes like around like episode 70 and up, like these last like 70 through 80, like I definitely hit a stride in the, in the most recent episodes where you can really get a feel for the format of the show. And I got it down pretty packed. All right. Well, I got just a couple more questions. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, All good, brother. All good. So you've worked with a ton of people. Is there anyone you've always wanted to work with, but it just never happened yet? Um, yes, absolutely. There's, um, I've always wanted to work with LP. I'm a super big LP fan. And he's shown me like a super, a lot of love over the years. We like, we met when I was like coming up in New York and like when I was visiting New York and trying to promote myself as an MC. Um, I met him a few times before and, um, and he was real, always really cool and showed me love. So I, I've always wanted to get him on a record. I tried a few times and just timing and schedule didn't work out. And then um, in the same breath, uh, Killer Mike was going to do a feature from Mayday years ago, pre-Run the Jewels. So then, you know, in my mind, I'm like, well, Mike owes uh, Mayday a verse, and LP's always said he was going to do one for me. What if I just, you know, get a Run the Jewels feature? Like, what the fuck? Yeah, that'd be crazy. Man, I saw, yeah, I tried, uh, I made a record called Detonate, and uh, that was originally intended to be a Run the Jewels feature, and it didn't work out for their schedule at the time. So then I, I ended up putting UB and Tech on it instead but if you listen to it you can kind of hear that that's what i was going for so mm-hmm. lp and, and and killer mike would be one definitely if i could get around the jewels on a record mm-hmm. i'd be hype about that uh yellow wolf is another person that I've come really close to doing a record with he's like acknowledged and said he was down and we just haven't put it together and i'm hoping maybe in the next record or two i'll get i'll get to have him on a record um that would be really dope and then there's like a few like going outside of hip-hop that i would just like to like dream features, like musicians that I really like or vocalists that I really like, you know, they're kind of outside of my sphere. Like, you know, Peter Gabriel, I'm like a huge Peter Gabriel fan since I was a kid and I think he has an amazing voice. So like doing a feature like that or Seal, like I'm a big Seal fan or Bjork. Like I I like different kind of vocalists like that, that I would love to put on like one of my like hip hop records is like a hook. I think that would be super fun to do. So um, throughout your career, was there any times where like you were really close to giving up? But you just figured I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going and stick it out, and just uh... I think it's right now actually. <laughs> I think it might, I think I might be in that period right now. No, it's um I, I I've like is there been, any like, particular super... years that that come up in your mind like this was an extremely rough year and I almost didn't make it. Um. Yeah, I mean the year the years after the MTV battle before I joined Mayday like 2007, 2008, I was doing like a mixtape series called uh The Waiting Room and there's a couple of mixtapes around that era that you can really like hear it in my rhymes and my voice. Like I was just very frustrated with that situation. I was working, you know, for this company because they they had a record label but they weren't putting my record out yet and then like the record label went under but I just stayed working at this adult entertainment company doing all kinds of weird jobs. I never did porn or anything, but you know, I was working with that company. So it was like, those years were really frustrating um, in terms of like professional growth, but I was trying to do all I could at that time and still hustling. So I was putting mixtapes out and I was recording and, and, and just like trying to get my chops up and then doing shows. And that's how I ended up joining Mayday. So like I kind of forged my way through it. And so 2007, 2008. And then now I'm also in a similar position where we're off the label of strange. We have a fan base and that's cool. And, and, and fucking, I don't take that for granted at all. But what happened, like for me personally, at least when I got off strange, 
I, I went as hard as I could go on marketing. And the tricky part about running a record label or putting your own records out today is like, if you spend a thousand dollars to promote a song, it takes so long to get that thousand dollars back. Mm. So, you know, it, it's, it's really insane how long it takes. So that's why you'll see artists doing this, that, and the third, you know, other than the streaming, because the streaming is so, so warped in terms of how much money you can make. So spend that thousand dollars on a music video or whatever, and just, you can literally, you know, count it by the fractions on how it comes back. So I went super hard on promoting those six singles that I did last year, spent a bunch of money and like, it's been really slow to come back. And I'm like learning what the frequency of that is and trying to like operate now, like kind of at a loss, you know, and trying to figure out how to make that work. So it's been like tricky now. It's not like I'm going to quit or anything because I'm so far down the river and I just love what I do still, even when it's like really not profitable. It's, it's like, I just love like being control in control of my own world and getting to do this music and recording and performing, like still gets me out of bed and like brings the world, you know, brings life to everything for me. So it's like, I don't want to quit or I don't, I'm not thinking of quitting, but I'm finding like right now, this little, like launching our next segment of our career to be really cumbersome. Like what's, what's being asked of us in a way, then also like where, how, how far down into our careers we are. And then like juggling all the other things that come with being the life of a 40 year old parent, you know, like you gotta, Mm. you gotta take care of these kids and you gotta do, you know, pay for this, that, and the other. And like, it's a lot, it's a lot to juggle. So, you know, kind of, that's the hustle I'm on now trying to find my way through that. Do you have any advice for anyone that's feeling that way? Like any artists that have been doing this for like 20 years and they're in their forties and like, just not sure what they can do to, you know, keep it going. When I was coming up, there was, there was some people in Miami that used to say things like, if you're, you know, if you're not out there like promoting yourself or you're not like gaining ground attraction, like quit. And I always disagreed like in the beginning with that sentiment, because to me, if you start, like, if you like do music and you love it and it like just brings you all that joy to just make a record and before anyone even hears it, before you get a thumbs up or a like or any of that shit, then you're already winning to me. Like you could make music in your closet and just really fucking enjoy it. And that shit could be your creative outlet. And that is something that a lot of people don't have the advantage of having. So like if you started with that foundation, which is what I've always tried to do, stick and, and keep that in the focus then like building all the other stuff on top of it, even when the things topple over, you always still have that really like solid foundation of like, I love this art. I love this music. And I, I, at the end of the day, like if I just quit right now and no one ever heard another song I made, like if I was still making this stuff, it just makes me happy. And that's what is like paramount to my like mental health and just my world in general. I could go get another fucking job. I could go do whatever. I'll I'll pivot and go do some other shit. I'll still want to make music, you know? Um, So it's like, I, I really feel like, um, starting with that foundation and a lot of artists now, everything is so microwaved. You can get to, you can get from, I want to be a rapper or I want to be a musician to, I am literally putting a song out for the world within a day. If you like, like it's so fucking crazy how fast you can get there. And that's great. Technology's really allowed us to get there quicker, which is wonderful. But the the drawback to getting there that quick is that sometimes people don't really appreciate like, what it takes to get there and also like how long it takes sometimes to build a fan base. You can put your fucking song on Spotify tonight if you want, but you know, to build a fan base and get people listening in a world that's oversaturated with content, it's hard. It's really hard. It takes years, you know, even with the speed of everything we have now. So patience is definitely a thing. 
you know, believing in oneself and also just doing it for the love first and foremost, because on the days when you feel that you're not getting any traction or that whatever MC Joe Schmo or whoever is getting more traction than you, like if you still have the love at the core for what you do, then that, that shit can kind of just come and go like a mood, a mood swing, you know, like you, fuck it. Like I still love what I do. So right. I feel like that that's something that I've tried to remember over the years and it's always helped, especially when things were really rocky. Yeah. That's some good advice. Um, so I noticed you have a bunch of recognized merch, like hats, hoodies, T-shirts. Is there any Mayday merch available right now as well? We do have a Mayday merch shop. It's the MaydayShop.com. It's uh, it's closed right this moment because we're about to launch um, a tour collection, like all our remaining merch from our previous Believers tour. Uh, we have like some like uh, remaining items from that tour that people have been asking us for. So we've just been getting organized for that. But yeah, there's a ton of like back catalog merch and and gear as well on on the MaydayShop.com. And hopefully, I'm hoping to actually launch it. It's funny we're talking today because I'm hoping to launch it tomorrow. But if it's not tomorrow, it'll be within the next week. We're going to be relaunching that shop and there's a bunch of Mayday stuff there. And then we also still have uh, merch catalogs on Strange Music's website. All our Strange Mu- our previous Strange Music catalog that still exists is available there at strangemusicinc.net. Um, strangemusicinc.net and so yeah you can still get recognized and mayday stuff on the on the strange shop as well all right well i have one more question but first can you let people know where they can find you online and give any shout outs you might have yeah absolutely yeah i'm gonna give a shout out to the wrecking crew that's all my all my folks that support me on patreon that is like the best most direct way to get access to all the unreleased drops the live events uh you know maxi singles additional remixes vaulted songs all that we do all that crazy shit there so shout out to all my wrecking crew folks if you want to support me there, that's the best way to do it. It's patreon.com forward slash recognize. It's W-R-E-K-O-N-I-Z-E. That's no C and no G. And um, and then, yeah, I'm the same on socials. I'm, I'm at recognize on pretty much all the socials except for Facebook. I'm at recognize music. And I'm pretty active on social media. So if you ever want to holler at me or you're an artist looking to do uh, do some work or you just want to whatever, just chat it up, man. I'm, I'm active on socials. So just holler at your boy. And, um, yeah, I think that's it. All right. So I like to end the show by asking, um, do you have a top five favorite hip hop albums of all time or five, maybe that you listened to the most or wore out the most top five hip hop albums of all time? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Ooh. All right. Let's go. Um, De La Soul stakes is high. Big one for me. Big pivotal album, like changed my fucking world when I heard it. Um, most Def's Black on Both Sides, also a super big one for me. Um, Snoop's first album, Doggy Style, was I got it when I was 11. It's one of the earliest hip-hop albums I can remember owning. My mom bought it for me on Valentine's Day when I was 11 years old. And I don't know what she was thinking, but I'm glad she <laughs> was thinking it. <laughs> uh, so that, that album also like really blew my mind at that time. Um, so that's three. And then I would say um, Gangstar's Moment of Truth was a big a big record for me um and then the roots things fall apart would also be up there for me that that, that, that's often like black thoughts one of my favorite mcs of all time and the roots like that things fall apart album like i love all their music but that particular album like hit at a like very pivotal time in my life i can remember buying that album in best buy the songs like every track on that record the collabs on that record are fire the production is fire uh, I just love everything about that album from like the cover art to the production, to the mixing, everything is just phenomenal about that record. Yeah. I was just listening to it today. 
Man, but, classic. Uh, it still yeah. holds up to this day. But, um, yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time out tonight, and I'm looking forward to these releases. And uh, I do a mix show also on Saturday nights. I don't know if you if you knew that or not. But um, on uh, yeah, when I was looking you up, it's on like Mixstream or what's the what's it, the name of the service? It's on it's on Mixcloud. Mixcloud, okay, I got you. Yeah, yeah. There's actually I don't know if you've been on there, but um, like a lot of um, DJs put their shows on there. Like um, I think it's Eclipse. Some uh, it might be Eclipse. He puts a bunch of like classic New York shows from like Stretch and Bobito on there from the '90s. So Fire. you can find Fire. like some of the best radio shows ever on there from the '90s. But, um, All right, I got to dig into that. Yeah, I, I, I'm familiar with the site, but I got to dig into it further. But yeah, if you have something you want to send, I'll, I'll send you my email after this. And uh, definitely keep me posted on everything. And, and if you want, in a year, we can, uh, we can, we can connect back and, and see how everything went. Absolutely, bro. I appreciate you tuning in and checking out the records. And, and uh, yeah, best wishes with the, with the mix show and the podcast. And uh, yeah, I hope to reconnect in the future. All right. Thanks a lot. And uh, take care and good luck in 2024. Likewise, my brother. Appreciate you. Peace. Peace. The, 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 the Craig Rose 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 Rose